The title of my sermon is this, Getting a Camel Through a Needle's Eye. And if you're wondering, wow, why so chim? What does this mean, right? As we look at the scripture, you will find out what this means. Now, Matthew chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, could you turn with me to Matthew chapter 19? And we're going to read from verses 16 to 30. It's going to be on the screen, but I encourage you to read it from your own Bibles. Now, it says this. Just then, a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, what good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, keep the commandments. Which ones? He inquired. Jesus replied, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All this I have kept. The young man said, What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give it to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Some versions say, for he had many possessions. Verse 23. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I tell you, it is hard for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. <coughs> Excuse me. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then would there be for us? Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on the twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, wife, children, or fields, for my sake, will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. Before we go any further, find someone next to you and ask them this, are you a crazy rich Asian? Come on, go ahead, ask them that. Are you a crazy rich Asian? Ask them that and see what they say. If they say yes, that's the person you want to get to lunch after the service. Incidentally, have you actually seen that movie? How many of you have seen that movie, Crazy Rich Asians? It was actually the last movie my wife and I saw before we had our little girl. And you know, in that movie, it was, um, it was, a, it was a display of great wealth, a display of extravagance and luxury. You know, we had this one scene where uh, you know, one of the characters called Astrid, she walks into the jewelry store and she just buys a pendant worth millions of dollars just like that without bedding and eyelid, and of course we see the bachelor party held on a uh, container in the sea, and you know, it was just full of extravagance and all, you know, just imagery of luxury. And I actually read a little bit about this um, movie. It's actually not based on a true story, but it is a reflection or a mirror as to how some people are actually that rich. There are some people in the world who are genuinely that wealthy that they could afford great things. Now, I don't know what is your definition of rich. Um, if I were to ask you today, do you consider yourself rich? 
Most of us, if we are a little bit honest, we will go, ah, we're okay, or maybe we are not so rich, or we will have a definition of being rich. My definition of being rich is simply this. I can go to a restaurant and order things without checking the price in the menu. You all know what I'm feeling? Anybody feel me? Or is it just me? Just the poor pastor feels that way. Everybody else is just like, whatever, right? But if there's one thing that we can all acknowledge is that we all understand that if we had a certain kind of wealth or certain level of affluence, it can be very comfortable, right? It can be, you know, we can live a life that is a little bit um, comfortable. We don't have to worry so much. And now I, I, I am by no means rich, but I have been in environments where, you know, they, where rich, richer people enter, right? So for example, I've actually had a chance to fly business class, not because I paid for it or someone else paid for me, it's because the airline made a mistake and they had to put us on a business, cl- business class flight, right? How many of you are thankful for those kind of blessings? They suddenly, you act a little bit more important, right? Even though you didn't pay for it. But you know, when we go on a business class, one thing I notice is that they treat you very different from economy class. You know, they, they treat you. Know, you're, you're, they, they call you by your name. They call you sir. They take your bags for you. You know, they take your coat for you, and they treat you like some VIP. And and if you've been to even certain um, expensive restaurants or hotels, let's use hotels for example. If you go to an expensive hotel like for the Hyatt or the Hilton or something like that, you will notice that the way they treat you in those hotels are very different where I suppose you go to a two-star hotel or a Airbnb, right? If you've been into those environments, maybe, you know, you saved up a bit of money and you go there, but just imagine that for a moment. When you have wealth, you do have a certain kind of status in society's eyes, and that can be a little bit, if we're honest, intoxicating. What do I mean by that? We suddenly feel very important. We feel more confident. We feel like more like, yeah, look at me, Mr. Big Shot flying business class, even though I didn't pay for it, right? Or, you know, look at me staying at this nice fancy hotel. Yes, indeed, fetch my laundry for me. We, we start to feel a certain kind of what I call self-sufficiency or self-reliance. Now, this is where the rich man, back to the story, the rich man comes and he asks Jesus, what must I do to have eternal life. In fact, he refers to him as good teacher. Now, this story actually is reflected in Mark chapter 10 and Luke 18. In the Mark and Luke account, the man actually calls Jesus good teacher. This implies that he's most probably a Jew. So he actually knew all about the commandments. He knew about what it meant to be righteous according to the law and all these different things. And in Matthew 19, he asks Jesus, what good thing must I do? To which Jesus actually replies to that statement. What does he say? He says, why do you call me good? Or why do you ask what is good? Only God is good. Which leads me to my first point. Good or God. That is my first point. Good or God. Now, if I were to ask you, what is good? All of us have a certain kind of understanding of what we consider good. In fact, if I were to go you know, a step further, we probably evaluate how something is good two ways. One is by its valuation, 
how much we value it, or two, from a reference point. So let's take a, an example. For example, if I ask you, what would you consider a good day? So if you value comfort, you will consider a good day is relatively comfortable. For example, you came to church, you just num num line up, you got into the, into the lift, you didn't have to line up, you go straight up to level five. You come to church, you find your, the exact same seat you've always been sitting on for the past 25 years, and then you sit there, you go, praise God, nobody took my seat. And then after that, you go to lunch, you go to like a busy mall like Wan Otama, you find a nice parking spot, and right next to the lift, you go, my goodness, I'm anointed today. And then you go, and then you go to your favorite restaurant, you're thinking to yourself, confirm many people, you know, it's like Sunday, and it's like a, gonna be a busy time, and you see, no queue, and you go in, and you go, wow. By the time you get home, you would think, that is such a good day, because of what you value. And then you probably used to have a reference point. You think about a day where you didn't have such a good day, Right? Maybe you came to church and you see someone sitting on your seat and you go, how dare that person sit on my seat? Don't they know that that seat is mine? I've been sitting there since before you were born. You know, why are you sitting there? And then you go to the mall, you know, instead of finding a parking immediately, you circle around and around, you can't find a parking and then you remember the good old days. Ah, I remember that time when I had, you know, I could actually find parking so easily. I wish it was that day. And let's, let's take another example, just another one. How will you evaluate what is a good job or good school? So maybe for a job, you would think, you know, it, it must have a good culture, it must have a good boss, it must have good pay. For school, you're thinking it must have good reputation, it must have, you know, good uh, lecturers and all that. And then you have reference point, right? Is this job better than the last one I had or better than the one that I heard of? Or is this school better than the, than the ones that, you know, are, that, that are down the road and all that? Now, Take that, all that into consideration and let me ask you this. What if God was the reference point for everything? And what if He was the benchmark and the measure of everything else compared to this world? Think about this. On the worst day, is God still good? Even if you don't get the job that you want, is God still good? Even if you have something that in your eyes seems like a good thing, compared to God, is it still worthwhile? That's what Jesus was saying. Why do you call me good? Or why do you ask what is good? If I were to rephrase that, he's actually saying, do you even know what good really means? Because apart from God, there is nothing that is good in this world. And if I were to compare it, right, Paul compares it this way in Philippians 3. Now, Paul, you know, he, he's a passionate guy. So he's actually going to use a bit of crude languaging or crude comparison when he brings out this point. He says in Philippians chapter 3, I once thought these things were valuable, meaning all the ministry and stuff that he held on to. But now I consider them worthless because of what? Christ has done. If I look at the highlighted part, he said, yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For His sake, I discarded everything else, counting it as garbage. Counting it as garbage. And I'm going to stop right here just for this scripture. You know this word here, garbage, is actually the Greek word skybalon. 
And this word, if you were to translate it, it is literally dung, like literally poop. In fact, it is often used to describe as animal excrement. Now, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm just bringing out what the scripture says. It's kind of like this. You know, uh, how many of you, you know, you got a phone and you like taking pictures of things. You know, you go on a holiday, you take a picture and all that, right? They got a new iPhone 11 now, Pro Max, whatever, three cameras, you know, like, wow, we take, take nice pictures, right? How many of you, you would actually take a picture after you finish doing your business? Unless you have issues, right? Or you want to annoy your spouse or a friend, right? After you've done your business, you won't go and go, wow, that's nice, okay. That's not bad effort today, well done, right? You wouldn't do that. The minute you're done, you forget it, you move on. And that's what Paul is comparing everything else in contrast to Christ. Everything else I forsake. Everything else I don't consider even worth my while all for the glory of God. And you know, when we become a Christian, when we profess Jesus as our Lord and Savior, there has to be an internal change, an internal shift. We are in this world, but we are not of this world. We cannot now operate as the world operates or have the same values as the world values. The world will value many things as good or many things as okay. But Colossians 3 verses 1 to 2 says this, Now that you have been raised with Christ, set your mind on things above. Set your mind on heavenly things and not things of this world. Would you consider, how, how would you consider things as good and as even acceptable? You know, I was having a conversation with, um, so a disciple, um, you know, a, a lot of like, young people and all that, you know, in the ministry. And a lot of times, right, they ask this question, not because, um, you know, I, I think they ask it out of genuine curiosity, but they always ask this, what is wrong with, what is wrong with this, what is wrong with that? So let me put it into context. Oftentimes as Christians, we like to ask this, what is wrong with gambling, right? Or, or what is wrong with drinking? What is wrong with dating someone else from a different faith or someone who doesn't have the Christian faith. What is wrong with doing this? What is wrong with doing that? And can I gently put it to you that if we are to be mature Christians, you know mature Christians, right? Maturity is not determined by how long you've been a Christian, but how much you actually want of God and how much you want to actually obey Him. That determines the maturity of a Christian. A person can be in church for 50 years but still have bitterness, unforgiveness, right? And they have all this unbelief, all different things they're struggling with. So instead of asking what is wrong with this, what is wrong with that, we need to move to the next level and ask this, what can bring God the most glory and what can draw me closer to Him and not lead me away from Him. So we have to be very careful. Just because you have a job that pays really, really well, big sum of money, very tempting. I know that I get it. But if it is going to take you away from the things of God, whether because you're going to be traveling a lot or you're going to be placed in an environment where you know that your faith is going to be tested and you're not strong enough to withstand that, is that really a good thing? When I talk to young people, they will say, you know, I've met this girl or I've met this guy. 
They understand me, you know, they fulfill me, they complete me. We get along so well, but the one thing they forgot to say or forgot to consider is that does this person lead me closer to God or distract me away from my relationship with Him? What is really good, my friends, this day, if I were to ask you that? What is really good? What are we chasing after? Are we really pursuing the things of God or the things of this world? So I've shared this saying with the church before. I'm going to repeat it again. What holds your heart determines what you value. What you value determines what you pursue. And what you pursue determines who you become. God is not interested in what you do or what you have. He is interested in who you are. I have seen people profess, say, I'm going to pursue the call of God on my life. But in that pursuit, they are actually not chasing the presence of God. They are just chasing the performance, the platform, the ministry. And then when they don't get it, they get bitter. They get upset. Or I've seen people, they say that, no, I love God and all that, but they, go in, they get into relationships. They take jobs that actually draw them away from God. What is really good? I'm going to tell you what is not good. Anything that draws us away from God, that causes us to forget Him, and anything that clouds His glory in our life is not good. Do you know that a lot of times good is actually the enemy of God? In fact, people don't backslide. Most people don't backslide because they're having a bad time or because they, they're going through a crisis. Most people drift away from God because they are doing well. Because they have nothing going on, no, nothing's wrong in their life, everything's okay, children okay, finance okay, studies okay, relationship okay. Then they get into the self-sufficient mode where they start to think that, you know what, I'm doing okay. And before long, God is kind of like somewhere back in the list of priorities that they have set themselves for. But my friends, as believers, as followers of Christ, I'm going to encourage you from 2 Corinthians 4.18. We fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is temporary, what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Temporary things will not lead to permanent satisfaction. Do you know what is really good? Good or God? And then we carry on with the story. Jesus actually then entertains this guy. He lions him, right? First, he tells him, why do you ask me what is good? Only God is good. But then he, he, you know, he, he, he gets him going. He, he tells him, keep the commandments. And the man then asks, which ones? And Jesus quotes him the fifth, sixth, seven, eight, and nine commandment. Honor, you know, honor your father and mother. Don't steal, don't, don't kill. And love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19.18. All of the commandments related to other people. And this guy, man, you got to give it to this guy. He's a confident man, right? He says, all I've kept, all I've done. And then Jesus then asks him or issues him a challenge that exposes this man's failure. Because if you notice something, do you all know the, the greatest commandment? What's the greatest commandment from Matthew 22, 
verses 37 to 40. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. It, Jesus said, the law of all the prophets hang on these two commandments. And when Jesus issued him this challenge, he was exposing this guy, he was canying this guy, because this guy did not keep the most important ones. Because when he was told to sell all that he had and give to the poor, he did not love his neighbor as himself because he could not do it. And when Jesus said, do all that, come follow me, the man could not do it. So you know what? He already broke the first commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. Which leads me now to my second point, something I want to ask all of us this afternoon. Do you have money or does money have you? Do you have money or does money have you? You know, how many of you know of this person called Christine Lee Jiasin? Uh, she's not a member of our church. If you happen to have that name, it's probably purely coincidental, okay? Or if you're now in this church, I did not ask your permission to share this, but because you're in the news anyway, it's public knowledge, right? So this person called Christine Lee Jiasin, she was a student, she's from Malaysian, she was a student in Sydney, Australia a couple of years back. What happened to Christine was the, gov the bank, I think Westpac or NAB, I can't remember, accidentally gave her an unlimited overdraft. You know what an unlimited overdraft is? It means you go to the bank, you can just keep drawing money from the bank and it is absolutely fine. So he, she gave an accidental unlimited overdraft now, you would think that maybe Christine would have gone and bought like a house, buy some property, invest in shares and stocks and some bonds. But no, she did none of that. She went to spend it on luxury goods, branded bags and shoes, holidays, expensive condos and all that. And the news article also mentioned a vacuum cleaner. Now, I don't know how powerful this vacuum cleaner is or what's so special about it, but it's mentioned along with luxury goods and all that. And... Here's the crazy thing. When she was caught, right, she actually professed innocence. <coughs> she claimed that she did nothing wrong. And here's the even crazier thing. She actually got away with it, having not, to, not needing to pay back all that she spent. She got away with it. Now, contrast that story to a gentleman called Graham Holman. Now, none of you would know Graham Holman, and none of you possibly will ever will, because Graham Holman was my Greek lecturer in Bible college. Now, Graham Holman was not a, um, you know, forgive me, Graham, if you ever happen to chance upon this message, but Graham Holman is not a spectacular man. He's not a guy that, you know, is charismatic, you know, and all this kind of thing. He didn't even have a big ministry. You know, he, he, he taught in, a, in my Bible college on and off, um, but he only had a very small ministry in a suburb of Baldwin in Australia, ministering to older folks. So a lot, of, um, a lot of churches are looking for more young people, right? His ministry is looking for more old people, right? Those of you who want, you know, please go ahead, right? Go ahead there if you're looking for a church for all old people. That's the one there. But, so what happened to Graham was that he, he shared with the class a few years ago. So I was in, this was a long time ago. So when I was still in college, he shared a few years ago somebody had accidentally transferred 100,000 AUD into his account. And when he, when he got that money, 
he saw it as a blessing from the Lord. Like he go like, wow, God has blessed me after all these years of toiling and, and, you know, and doing it, maybe God has blessed me. And he had many needs, including personal and ministry needs. But then he thought, you know, I should do the right thing. I should call up the bank. And he, you know, he rang up the bank and then he asked, right? So he was, he was wrestling. Should I not just spend the money or should I just call up the bank? Because he, you know, he's a lecturer, so he did a bit of research. Apparently, if someone accidentally transfers that money to you, and if you use it, this is Australian law, I don't know about Malaysian law, okay, don't, don't, go, don't go and take my word and, do, and if that happens to you, do it here. But in Australian law, you can actually contest it, just like how Christine Lee contested it, that she got that unlimited overdraft, she got away with it. But, you know, Graham felt a check in his spirit, so he rang the bank. He rang the bank and the bank, he asked the bank, you know, who transferred this money to me. So the bank contacted the person who transferred that money. Apparently, that person actually entered in the wrong account number. Now, banking back then, not so, not so chunky as now, right? Where you put in a bank account number, the account name actually comes up. And not, not like that back then. So Graham actually said, I will give all of the money back. Now, when he did that, the guy who transferred wrongly to him, Graham shared this, he was not thankful. He didn't actually say thank you. Graham was secretly hoping for some kind of reward, but there was not even an utterance of gratitude from this guy. But he shared with us, he said this, you know there is the law of the land, but there is also the law of the Lord. I could not in good conscience have kept the money, so I returned it, even though I have many reasons to think that that money was rightfully mine. So let me ask us this today. If you were given a large sum of money, will you quickly forget God? If success were to come your way, will you to quickly forget God and go, you know what? God, thank you. I got this. I now got it on my own. Because Jesus flat out said this, it is hard for a rich person to enter heaven. It is hard. To which the disciples all exclaimed then, who then can be saved? The Bible, whether we like it or not, has much to say about money. 1 Timothy 6 verse 10 says this. Let's all read this together. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Let's read Matthew 6 24. Let's read it loud and strong. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And then 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 to 19 says this. I want to assure you, there is nothing wrong with being rich, and there is nothing wrong with money. But the Bible says the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil, and then you cannot serve both God and money. But if you do have a bit of money, this is what the Bible says. Teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God, who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. Tell them to use their money to do good. They should be rich in good works and generous to those in need, always being ready to share with others. By doing this, they will be storing up their treasure as a good foundation for the future so that they may experience true life. Now, you could be sitting here and you can go, aha, it's okay, I'm not rich. 
and then you cry a bit. <laughs> yeah, actually, I'm not rich. You think about all the bills you have to pay. I'm not rich, so I'm okay. I'm good. But let me substitute the point that I'm trying to make. There's money. Do you have money or does money have you? Do you have things or do things have you? All of us, without exception, we have what I call our prized possessions. There are some things that we hold on to very dearly and they are precious to us. And it's natural, right? It's normal to have these things. I'm going to ask you that. Going back to my first point, good or God, in comparison to God, would your most prized possession actually not be worth anything compared to God? Not compared to His own, compared to God. Your net worth. Some people, their identity is tied up in their net worth. Your net worth, no matter how much it is, maybe you're worth a million, five, twenty, two hundred, does that surpass or supersede God or the value of God that He has placed in you? Here's a true saying from the Bible, a trustworthy saying. One Timothy 6, 6 to 8. And I want us all to declare this really, really strong because it says this, godliness with what? Godliness, let's say it together, godliness with what? Contentment is what? Great gain. Look at that, say to yourself, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, we take nothing out of it. If we had food and clothing, we will be content with that. As far as I can see, all of you have clothing here. Thank God. You came into church with clothes. And I know that after the service, you are going to have food. Because even if you don't have food, you didn't bring your wallet, just walk into a hospitality lounge, pick up some food there, it's free. Or we have free coffee after the service. Now get this, you have clothes, you have free food. What does the Bible say? You are blessed. You don't need to strive for more. You don't need to look for more. You don't need to learn, yearn for more. Because the Bible is very, gives us a very, very big warning that for the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. For money, people will do crazy things. And here's the thing about money that I've very quickly learned. Do you know that if you are unwise with money, uh, money can very quickly run out. Do you all realize that? If you're unwise with money, money can quickly, very quickly run, uh, run out, right? And if you, are not, if you don't learn to be content, all the amount of money in the world will never be enough for you. You know, we have, we have, um, um, we have this family in, in uh, the youth ministry. Um, you probably won't know them because the parents don't come to our church. But, you know, I was talking to to you know, the kids, right, because they're in the youth ministry. And they tell me this, that the, they, you know, the father is actually a very, very successful person. For privacy's sake, I won't tell you what he does, but I'll tell you this. This is how rich they are. They actually move house for fun. Like, as if they will buy a new house and they'll move to it. And, and this is bungalows, okay, because the guy has like seven children. So, you know, one day, he, so one day I was going to pick one of them up to actually uh, hang out, uh, you know, and, and talk. And, you know, I went to the old, the old house and they weren't there and they were like, oh, I, I moved to a new house. So I went to a new house and I look at this house, I'm like, the old house was big, this house was also big. I'm like, 
Why did you move there? I don't know, my father, you know, want to move house. So they move house for fun. Every two, three years, they will move different houses. This is how rich this guy is. And he has seven kids, and he sends all seven of them to international school. Uh, have you ever, have you ever, do you realize how much international school costs? One day, I was just curious, just curious, you know, I'm a curious guy. So I went, and I asked how much it costs. I almost, I actually almost had a heart attack. I was like, my gosh, just how much international school costs. Right? I was like, KR baby, you better be smart, all right? You better get a scholarship or something. And, and, and you know, like, it's like, but yet, the family tells me, the kids tell me that the father is always working, pushing, and all that. Why? He thinks that he does not have enough. And it's crazy because for us, we will see someone like that and we will go, man, that, why, that guy is so rich. Well, for people who don't learn how to be content, all the amount of money in the world will never be enough. And for those who are unwise, all of the money you know, in the world can quickly run out, you are not invincible just because you have a lot of money. And the disciples, after hearing all of this exchange, right, they were stunned, they were shocked because in the olden days, the Jews understand or understood material blessing to be a sign of favor from God. So they were looking at this guy who, number one, could not impress Jesus with his wealth. You know, like, you know, he, like, just like a guy walking into first class, right? You thought everybody would go, oh, sir, hello, welcome. Jesus just gave it to him straight away. Not only this guy could not impress Jesus with his wealth, he also knew the law. And yet, you know, in the eyes of the disciples, that is like the pinnacle already, this guy, right? He's like number one role model. And the disciples then exclaimed, who then can be saved? God says this, with man, it is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. And I'll come back to that point. Then the disciples exclaim, Lord, we have left so much to follow you. Sometimes we feel like that, right? God, I've sacrificed so much to give to you, to serve you. What does Jesus say? Anyone who leaves behind fields or family will be repaid in full and even more. And in the Mark and Luke version, it adds, not just in the age to come, but in this age. And this leads me to my last point, and that is this. You can either choose to not follow God and have nothing, or you can have God and everything. It's God or nothing, but then if you choose God, you will have everything. Let me, let me end by telling you a story. Um, this story is actually shared by, uh, by Elder Kuntat uh, a few years ago, but it really stuck to me, and I use it in my sermons on and off. But this story is actually about a father and a son. Now, this father and son, they have a great love for paintings. So they will collect the most famous paintings, the most famous pieces of art and work, and they will keep it in their home, their personal collection. One day when the war broke out, his son was actually called to serve in the front lines in the battlefield. So he went. But in the midst of the war, in the battle, the son actually lost his life. And the father, upon receiving the news, was devastated and he, was, he felt so at, at loss for words and he was shocked. One day, you know, the father hears a knock on the door and he goes to answer it 
and he sees a man that he does not recognize. This man then identifies himself, Sir, I serve in the battlefield with your son. And I want to tell you that your son gave his life in order to save mine. So I can't pay you back. Excuse me. I can't repay you. But I know you have a love for painting, so I have a little gift for you. I hope this will mean something to you. So the father takes the gift and he unwraps it and he sees it's actually a portrait and a painting of his son. The father was so moved and touched, he broke down in tears and then he went there to put that painting in the middle of the living room, declaring it as the focal point, the masterpiece, the centerpiece of that house. A couple of years later, the father actually passes away and before he passed away, he willed that all of his paintings were to be sold off. He did not want it to be passed on or inherited by anybody else. So the auction was happening, was beginning, and all these people came about. People came from different parts of the world, different, you know, far away lands and all that, just to make sure they could get a chance to even look and possibly get a hold of the collection that this man had. So they had the auction, and the auction master goes up, and he's, he starts the auction. But the first painting he brings out is the portrait of the son. And upon seeing that, everybody in attendance, they go, what's this? We didn't come for this. Bring out the Rembrandts. Bring out, you know, the, bring out the Van Goghs. Bring out whatever, all the famous paintings. We want to see the famous paintings. That's what we came for. The auction master calmly replied, I'm under instruction to start the auction with this painting. Unless this painting is sold, we will not proceed any further. And you hear the crowd all go, ah, right? Kind of like how when the pastor says, this is my last point, and he goes on for like 20 minutes, okay? Promise, I'm not like that. Back to the story. So they, they, they go to the painting. Who would take the sun? Nobody takes it because they go, who is this by? Who painted it? It's not by anyone famous. Then a voice pipes up at the back. It's the gardener. He says this, I will take the painting, but I don't have much. I can only offer $10. And the auction master goes, okay, $10. Going once. Do I hear 20? Do I hear 30? Is, is there anyone that will offer more than this? And then someone says, just hurry on with it. Sell it to the guy. Give it to him for 10. And he says, so for $10, to the man at the back. And if someone from the front row says, finally, now we can get on to the real auction. But the auction master says, I'm sorry, the auction is now over. And everybody's shocked. They go, what's going on? They're stunned. And the auction master explains, the man who owned all this painting, the instruction that he gave was this, anybody who takes the sun gets it all. Anybody who is willing to take the sun will get it all. And you go, where's the theological truth in this? I'll show you. Romans 8 verse 32. My favorite scripture. The one that speaks to me lots. It says this, He, God, who did not spare His own son, but gave Him up, how much more? 
how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? You see, God is not like you and I. For us, if we give someone our best, and when that person comes back, we would think, wait, apa lagi China mau, right? What more you want? I already give you my best. You want some more from me. But God is not like that. God is, I've given you my best, and through my best, you have access to access to all that you ever will need. The question is this, would you take the son? Just like this man, he had wealth, but the wealth blinded him. Jesus said, come follow me, but the man could not do it. You know, Jim Elliot said this, said this, he is no fool to lose what he cannot keep to gain that which he can never lose. I'll share with you another favorite scripture of mine, Psalm 84, verse 11. It says this, For the Lord is our sun and shield. He bestows favor and honor. Look at this. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk is blameless. No good thing does God withhold. You can have treasure or you can have the treasurer. You can have blessings or you can have the blesser. What would you choose? Because there's another saying, you are not truly rich until you have something money cannot buy. Money can give you comfort and money can solve certain amount of your problems, but it cannot bring you peace. It cannot bring you direction. It cannot bring you certain things that we are looking for. And I'll end with this last, last thing, okay? I'm going to draw us back now to the story. You know, in a, in a, in a, at the start, the man asks Jesus, what can I do to have eternal life? The word that he uses in the Greek is this word echo, which actually means a exchange. What can I exchange or what must I do in order to receive something in exchange for my service? A lot of times, that's what we think, especially those of us who are a bit richer and more affluent. We think that we have money, so tell me how much is the price. Tell me what it is. I'll pay it, and then you get it done for me. But you know the answer that Jesus replied him with? Jesus said, if you want to enter or come into life, is the word isahomai, which is actually an invitation, a journey. So get this. The man was looking for a transaction, but Jesus was giving him an invitation. Jesus was coming, was giving him an invitation. So I mentioned before, this passage actually occurs in the Mark and Luke version. And in Mark 10, 21, let's just put it on the screen. When Jesus challenged the man, he said, will you sell all that you have, give to the poor and come and follow me? The Mark version in verse 21 adds this, looking at him, Jesus felt genuine love for him. You see, the invitation to actually come into life, to forsake everything, to our human mind, it seems like, wow, God, you're too much. How can you ask me to give up all of that I have? How can you ask me to give you these things? But you see, God saw that this man 
may have a lots of things in the physical bank, but God is not interested in our physical bank. He's interested in our spiritual bank. What is happening to us? What is happening to us? When God asks you for something, to give up, to surrender something, it's not because He wants to deny you or punish you. It's because He loves you and His concern is for your soul, for your heart, for you to be close to Him. And this is not a challenge or a command. I see it as an invitation. God is saying, you have all these things that you think is good. Will you lay it down and follow me? Because only I, God, know what is good and only I, God, can give that to you. If you're not in a hurry, could we just do a couple of things right now? I will take the next five minutes and then we'll finish. If I could just have everyone seated right now and try your best not to move about if you're not in a rush. If you need to go, you need to go. But if you're not, could we just be still for a moment in this time with God? Can I have all heads bowed and eyes closed in this place? All heads bowed and all eyes closed. Just as Jesus issued an invitation to this man, right now I also want to issue an invitation. And the first invitation I want to issue is this, to follow Jesus. If you have been coming along to church, maybe this is your first time in church or maybe you've come to different services and programs, but you have never in your heart decided that I want to follow Jesus. I want to be in relationship with Him. I want to commit my life to Him. So I'm speaking to people who are not Christians or you have not decided to become a Christian. Can I say, or the scripture that I just quoted, how Jesus loved the man, God loves you and is issuing you now an invitation. Would you come and follow me? If you say this day, John, I'm not a, I'm not a Christian. I've been to church and all that, but I have not actually made the decision to be one. But I would like to do so today. Can you pray for me? I'm just going to ask again with as minimal movement around as possible. If that is you, wherever you are, could you lift your hand up and wave it at me so that I'll see it and then I can pray for you. Anybody in this place, you are not a Christian, but this day you want to decide, I want to give my life to God. I want to become a Christian. Now, becoming a Christian doesn't mean that you have all the answers. It doesn't mean you need to have all the answers or you need to understand it completely. But as long as you have the desire to go, hey, I want to know this God more and more, and then you go on a journey with Him. Just as this man was issued an invitation by Jesus. Across this place, anybody. I'm just going to look one last time. Anybody. I'm not going to press long. I'm not going to push for long. If that's you, can you wave your hand at me so that we can pray for you. One last time, anybody, absolutely anybody in this hall. Now the second invitation that I want to give is to believers. You are a Christian. I'm going to ask a bit of honesty right now and a bit of transparency. But maybe you're not so bad, right? Like the, this guy here. Or maybe 
to a certain extent, you have allowed yourself now to become self-sufficient and self-reliant. You have allowed different things, different things that you have, success, reputation, influence that you have, to kind of like cloud your vision of Jesus. But this day, you want to say, God, I surrender to you. Or maybe you have been, if you have been searching and working very hard to get more money, but it's because you have to. Maybe you got debts, you got bills to pay. Some of us, even debts incurred by family members and we have to be responsible for that. Can I tell you that God is not a harsh God? He's not a hard God. He knows and He understands. But this day, could we not harden our hearts towards Him? Could we surrender to Him and say, God, I choose to trust in You. If that is You, could I ask You to stand wherever You are so that You can say, yes, God, I trust in You. I don't want to trust in possessions. I don't want to trust in wealth. I want to trust in You. Wherever you are across this place, why don't you stand where you are? We're not going to ask you to come to the front. You just respond to say, God, I need you. I want to trust in you. I may be struggling financially. I may be worried about this. I trust in you. Or you have received blessings. You are blessed. But can I ask you to not make God to not make God secondary to your wealth, but to actually make God the center of it all. One last time, if that is you, you respond. I'm not going to push anymore because this moment is between you and God. You and God. Thank you, Jesus. For those of you standing, thank you for your honesty and thank you for your transparency. Let me now just pray for you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, you see each and every one of us, myself included. You see how sometimes the things of this world can get in the way, can cloud our vision from you, God. Lord, I ask, by your Holy Spirit, by your gentle tugging and reminding, will you convict us now to only fix our eyes on you and not on things of this world, to fix our eyes on you, May you assure us by your Spirit that you are indeed a good God, that anything that we give up in this world in pursuit of you is actually worthwhile because you are the only ultimate measure of what is good, not of this world. Nothing in this world, everything else will fade away but the presence, the glory, the Word of God will eternally remain. May we now, Jesus, have this kind of attitude and conviction. Only You, God, and nothing else. Only You, God, and nothing else. And as we do that, for all my brothers and sisters who chose to respond, and as we do that, God, we know that You will provide. We know you are calling us to do something that you yourself have paved a way for. That you will not leave us nor abandon us. You will not forsake us in our greatest time of need, but you will provide. I want to assure you, my friends, God will provide. God is big enough to provide. God is powerful enough to turn around any situation 
all you have to do is trust in Him. To trust in Him. To trust in Him. Can we all rise in this place? And as we close, you know, I chose this song, How He Loves. It's a simple song, but a nice reminder, a good reminder that God loves us. God loves us. And when He loves us, that is enough. Can you just sing along with us? He is jealous for me. Come on. situation that you're going through it does not change the fact that God is good and that He loves you no matter how much you have in the bank or how much you don't have in the bank it does not underwrite or overwrite the value that God has placed in you because you and I are created in His image we have the breath of God in us and nothing of this world can ever compare to that Let me just close us in prayer right now. Lord, I thank you for your word that was spoken and for your word that is true. Though it may be tough for many of us, myself included, to apply it, but Lord, I ask that your Holy Spirit guide us and lead us to truth, to the word of God that that will set us free. 
that we will have possessions, but possessions will not have us. That the only thing that will captivate and capture our heart is your presence, your love, and your glory. So separate us now with your blessing. And I pray, Lord, that we will all continue to walk in your ways. And as we do, we will see so much how you are faithful and how you are gracious. We thank you, Lord. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us at our third service.